Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Edwin Samkin. Edwin is the Special Effects Supervisor and Founder of Event FX Limited and the Sales Project Director and Founder of Luminous Show Technology. Edwin, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining us today. Hello, absolute pleasure to be here. It's a real pleasure having you join us on the air as well, Edwin. Now, um, the purpose of this discussion is to first and foremost establish your take on the topic of leadership. And leadership, I think it's fair to say, is something that's really being put to the test at the moment, isn't it? With the emergence of COVID-19, no less, and the need for business leaders to feel their way through what ultimately is an unprecedented crisis. Um, For somebody working within the special effects industry, such as yourself, how has it been adapting to the challenges that the pandemic has brought about? Because I can imagine there have been one or Two challenges for the likes of yourselves too. Yeah, very much so. Uh, it's, it's it's challenging for all of us, but um, uh, in our business sector, we we work in entertainment, so we provide services um, and products uh, to the live events industry, such as theatre, live sports, um, and TV. And a lot of those industries are just completely frozen. Um, so it's made. Uh, both of the businesses that you mentioned uh, have found it incredibly challenging to actually operate and to um, continue. And is there anything that you've actually learned about sort of running the business, crisis management, and indeed about those employees around you as you've adapted to this new reality, as it were? Yes, well, the the, the key thing um, I think we've all taken from this is to expect the unexpected, you know, I don't think many people can claim to say that they were prepared for a pandemic of this scale, um, which completely transforms your outlook with your business. You know, one of the businesses you mentioned is Luminous Show Technology. were right at the stage of ramping up production for a new product line, uh, and we'd brought on lots of new staff. We'd tooled up. We'd invested heavily in stock, and then everything changed overnight, and all of a sudden, the orders of the products we were to, we were going to make were either completely cancelled or reduced significantly, and it makes you realise you must have a variety of plans uh, to operate your business um, effectively, safely, and profitably. I think that's um, exactly right. And um, there's been a great deal of pressure on those people at the top of businesses during this time because worried employees naturally have been looking to those above them for a little bit of reassurance amid all of the uncertainty and all of the worry. But when you are sort of at the top of the tree in a leadership position such as yourself, where do you look to for that little bit of inspiration and that reassurance? And has it been difficult for you to try and keep the communication channels open and keep that reassurance flowing amid all of the uncertainty that's been there? Yes, it is. Yeah. uh, As you rightly say, you need to, um, you need to reassure the people around you that, that you are working very hard to um, maintain the business and their, which is their, um, an essential thing for their lives to actually continue in, in, in the direction that they're, that they're going. Uh, they, they, they rely on you to employ them um, so that you know, they can have a, um, a successful, happy life. And you feel very, very responsible for those people. Um, so you, it, it is quite hard to stay very, very positive when, when, when things are challenging. Um, but, you know, we rely quite heavily on um, 
just just being really optimistic about the future and about divert, what what can we do to diversify to to to, to make this business um, a, a success, even when the normal line of income has uh, a, as good as effectively dried up. You must find other solutions, um, and and we have, which is very mm. exciting for us at the moment. It links back to adaptability and flexibility, doesn't it? Which is important in the business world, but also within leadership itself. Um, it's been hugely important during COVID-19 because, as you say, traditional market um, sort of income routes have dried up and businesses have had to yeah. adapt and innovate in order to survive. And it's testament to the huge effort that employees and um, business directors all over the country have put in that business has largely managed to survive the uh, the pandemic thus far. Um, and during that time, there has been a renewed focus as well on issues such as mental health and well-being as people have adjusted to remote working in some cases, continuing to work on certain sites under new stringent safety procedures. Um, if we just focus on that for a moment, Edwin, um, how important yeah. do you think that mental health is in business leadership, both in terms of looking after your own as a director and also that of your colleagues around you? It is very important. Uh, in, in a leadership position, there are a lot of stresses, and you're being pulled in so many different directions. Um, you know, on a personal level, and your 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 own well-being and your family, um, and trying not to um, let work when it's particularly stressful affect um, home and family life. Um, and then, of course, um, supporting the people around you, whether it's your direct staff or it's your contractors or it's your suppliers who, um, pre-COVID-19, uh, you, you may well have been giving them steady income from um, orders you're placing with them. And then with everything that's changed, you've also got to consider their position as well and, and try and support them and reassure them that uh, once things return to a level of normality, you will continue to work with them and, 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 and bring work back to them. And of course, during the lockdown period, there has been a renewed yeah. focus on issues such as sustainability, particularly so in the uh, live events industry, of course, which I'm sure you'll know very much about. Um, yeah. What features of that sort of lockdown do you think will end up becoming a permanent part of the way that we operate in this country, do you think? Well, the one big thing for so many people is uh, the ability to work, to, to work from home. You know, And this is something which has been actually quite common in the in the live events industry because many people will go and work on an event which is obviously on site um, but to manage that work it can effectively be done from anywhere certainly the planning side of things um, but me personally I was traveling around the country and uh, to Europe a lot pretty much weekly um, to go and see customers and clients and discuss new projects and uh, check um, on products that we'd installed into theatres, for example. And obviously not being able to do that over the last four months has really highlighted that actually I can do the majority of my work from anywhere. And uh, several of our staff, although the people on the production line obviously have to be there doing the physical work, but a lot of people who are planning projects, they don't actually need to travel as much, which is actually a very positive thing. Because if we start to um, change the way we operate like that, you are significantly reducing the amount of um, transport required and also wasted time. So you're imp improving efficiency as well. Mm, exactly. And um, 
of, of among other positives to take from this quite difficult and quite tragic time um, is also the fact that from those businesses that do make it through there will be a real sense of them being galvanized won't there it'll breed a lot of resilience within businesses and also yeah. there's that experience as well of crisis management for this generation of directors and chief executives um do you think that therefore that sort of experience of going through something as serious as this and then making it through is something to take away as a positive and will essentially make people stronger as a result of all of this very much so i think if, if if we can survive um, this, uh, just looking at, at, at our own businesses, if we can get through this, then we can get through anything. Um, and so we've we, we've had staff really stick by us um, and and size and whatnot. And collectively, if we all get through this, then we'll be considerably stronger for it. And thinking about now what the new normal that everybody is talking about might hold for yourself and your businesses, Edwin, what do you think will come in the next 12 to 18 months for yourself, for the businesses themselves? And what do you hope to achieve as we move through the COVID-19 pandemic, hopefully emerge through the other side and begin to embrace the challenges of the new normal? Well, the key thing we did at Luminous Show Technology to adapt to the current climate was develop a whole range of PPE and hygiene products. Um, so we, we designed a C-certified face visor, which we supplied to care homes and NHS and various other healthcare workers. And we are now currently supplying a range of sanitizing stations, which have gone to historic royal palaces and NHS hospitals. And this has opened up a whole new stream of income for us, which has been a lifeline, quite frankly, and has allowed us to bring back several staff from furlough back into the manufacturing facility to manufacture these products. And I don't see hand hygiene going anywhere. Uh, so this could well be a whole other stream of income moving forwards in the future. Um, and it's given us a, a great opportunity, quite frankly, to uh, spread the kind of risk within the business so that we're not just totally reliant on providing a certain product to one industry. We can now provide a variety of products to a variety of industries which is very exciting mm, so that's a sterling example of how you of course have diversified during this time and are looking to branch out to make sure that income keeps coming in really really exciting stuff and let's certainly hope that that is a new avenue that has opened up for the uh, the businesses for sure edwin um it's a shame we're just about out of time on uh, today's program because i'm sure we could discuss these issues long into the afternoon um but it's been a real real pleasure having you join us on uh, the air today i must say and you know given how it's one thing speculating about what the future holds and it's another thing entirely looking back and seeing exactly what's happened and analysing that. I think from a listener's perspective, it would actually be wonderful to have you back on the programme at a later date over the course of the next year and see just what has changed in the time between and discuss how things at Luminous Show Technology and EventFX are getting on as well. Yeah, that would be wonderful. I think it'd be very interesting to see how different the live events industry is in 12 months' time because it, it, it won't be the same as it was. Um, certainly with uh, um, the challenges of people being shoulder to shoulder in a venue. I, I think you'll see a lot more events now where people can socially distance um, within guidelines, uh, which is quite quite interesting to see how that pans out. Certainly is going to be changing times uh, for sure, Edwin. Um, thank you ever so much once again uh, for joining us. And most importantly, do take care and do stay safe in the meantime until we do speak again, because as we both well know, I'm sure we're certainly not out of the woods with this COVID-19 situation as of yet. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It's been great to speak to you.
That was Edwin Samkin speaking. And coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, During his professional football career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But he's most known for the fact that he is the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition following his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium. 54 long years ago now. I hope you all enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Sir Jeff himself and that is coming up next. Uh, We're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, 
who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff and I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time And is there do you think uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens but is there a specific moment if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply Yes I think for, for me certainly um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. 
there was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Well, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? 
And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, 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 a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and, uh, and Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to, to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you 
as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other in the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. 
and I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. It- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is showed, the, word is, the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time it's a huge part of your life I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if if these top managers and leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.